If you got word that your adult child was in trouble, what kind of trouble would it take for you to get up and go after that child and try to save them from themselves? If you don't have children, think about the kind of trouble you would have had to get into for your parent to get up and come after you and try to talk some sense into you. What kind of trouble would that be? Not the kind of trouble that would make a parent want to go and save a child. I think parents feel that all the time. I mean the kind of trouble that would lead a parent to set aside better judgment and go after that grown child in order to rescue that child from themselves. What kind of trouble would that be? Financial trouble? Relationship trouble? Vocational, professional trouble, legal trouble, a trip to jail, a trip to the hospital? What kind of trouble? In today's gospel lesson, Jesus has gotten himself into a bit of trouble, and his family come after him in order to try to save him from himself. Mary and her family had noticed for a while at this point that people were whispering and giving them strange looks when they showed up at the marketplace, stopping their conversation as soon as they appeared. But recently, those whispers had grown louder, and finally, some friends of the family had come to Mary and her children and said, your son Jesus has gone out of his mind. He's getting into trouble. If you haven't heard, he's down in Capernaum, and he's He's really made the religious authorities there angry, angry enough to send word all the way down to Jerusalem, to the capital city, to ask for reinforcements. And you know what happens if those religious leaders get to him. You know what kind of trouble he will be in if they find him first. You'd better go. So Mary and her children did what they could do. They immediately got off got up and set out searching for this one who had gone out of his mind. They were too late. The leaders from Jerusalem made it to Capernaum first, and when they got there, they pronounced their judgment against Jesus and his ministry. He has Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. In other words, Jesus is a child of Satan, an agent of the devil, one whose words and actions are evil. Everything he says and does is wrong. Anything he claims about God is blasphemy. He probably deserves death. That's the sentence they pronounce. You might have noticed that when you're having a religious conversation, discussion with someone when it devolves to the point where one of you calls the other one Satan, it doesn't leave a lot of room for conversation at that point. And these leaders weren't interested in conversation. They were interested in undermining everything Jesus stood for. That's how threatening Jesus was to them. What did Jesus do to get in that kind of trouble? What had he said or done to make them so angry at him? Mark's gospel account gives us a Jesus who is in trouble from the very beginning. As soon as he's baptized, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness where he is confronted by Satan. 
And when he comes back, it seems that Satan is waiting for him. His first miracle, casting out a demonic spirit in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And right after that, he heals a leper by daring to touch the leper in order to make him clean. From the very beginning, Jesus was doing battle with those who held high expectations about what it meant to be faithful to God. And people noticed. A lot of people were excited to see this rabbi push the boundaries, play fast and loose with the rules of God's people. But those who had been the keepers of those rules weren't so happy. Next, Jesus healed a paralytic. But you might remember that before he healed the paralytic, he announced that the paralytic's sins were forgiven. And that got him really mad. The grumbling of those who watched said, who is this who says these things? That's blasphemous. Jesus wasn't deterred. The next thing he did was call a tax collector to be one of his disciples and started hanging out with them, eating and drinking with notorious sinners while the religious leaders looked on in horror. Then, right before this gospel lesson begins, Jesus again goes to a synagogue, and again it's the Sabbath, but this time the religious experts are watching. They want to see whether he'll do something wrong And when a man shows up with a withered hand and comes to Jesus to be healed, all the religious experts are watching to see what he will do. But Jesus turns their expectations back upon them and asks them, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal or to kill? But they won't answer him a word. And so grieved at their hardness of heart, Jesus heals him anyway. And from that moment on, Mark tells us, the religious leaders plotted to destroy him. Not to discredit him, not to arrest him, not even to kill him, but to destroy him, to wipe him and everything he stood for off the face of the earth. That's how angry they were at this Jesus. And so when our gospel lesson picks up today, there are two groups searching for him. One, his family, trying to stop him before the religious leaders can do their worst. And those religious leaders who are coming to call him Satan himself. And Mark, our gospel writer, weaves, sandwiches those two stories, those two pursuits together into one story to help us recognize that whether we're trying to stop Jesus because we think he's Satan or we're trying to stop Jesus because we don't want him to get in trouble, either way, we're standing on the wrong side of history. Because if you want to stand in the way of the work of the gospel, you might as well try to stand in the way of God. A house divided cannot stand. It's hard work to do the work of the gospel, especially when the workers of the gospel are staring at those who represent the power of this world. Those who confront those powers are always vilified in the worst possible terms as an effort not only to undermine their work, but to wipe them off the face of the earth. Those who would confront religious authorities and institutions are called demoniacs. 
Those who confront economic institutions and power are called communists. Those who confront political or national power are called seditionists. Those who confront family tradition are called traitors. It's hard to get anywhere in this world when the people in this world who matter, the people who have power, are calling you evil. It's hard to get a job, a loan, a friend, a pulpit when you've got that kind of anger coming at you. But when that heat is coming after someone we love, don't we all want to go and stop them and save them from themselves? I would run after my child as soon as I got word and try to shake some sense into them. I would throw them in the back seat of the car and drive away from danger as quickly as I could. Wouldn't we all? But what happens when that person we love is risking his or her life for the sake of justice? What happens when the person we're worried about is stepping out for the sake of God's love? What do we do then? Jesus came to this world to love those whom the world refused to love, to tell sinners that they were forgiven, to welcome the outcast, to offer healing and wholeness to those whom the religious community didn't know how to help. And when he did it, the people who had long made decisions about who gets a seat at the table were so angry that they tried to kill him, that they did kill him. Mary and her family just wanted to stop that from happening. They came and begged him to come back with them. Who are my mother and my brothers, my sisters, my family? Here, Jesus said, are my family. Here are the people who belong with me, those who seek to do God's will even in the face of danger. Those of us who pick up that gospel work sometimes face great risk. Even our lives are in danger. But those who are committed to that work find that their place is in God's family. That the one who came to make sure that everyone was counted among God's family has offered them a place at his side. We belong to a God who loves us not because of who we are or what we do or what we have, not because of what we look like or who we love or where we pray. God loves us just because God loves us. And when we say that about God and about each other, it makes people angry sometimes angry enough to kill those who would make such outlandish claims about God. When it's the people we love who face that threat, what will our response be? Will we try to save them from themselves and get them to stop? Or will we ask God's Spirit to fill us with courage that we might stand with them and offer them our voice, our hearts, and even our lives.